0: Today is Reformation Sunday, and this October marks the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. And this is a really big deal, not only from the standpoint of church history, but also if you look at the history of Europe, the Reformation was a very, very significant uh, time period. We've been celebrating the Reformation each Sunday in October by looking at five great themes of the Reformation. Some call these... These five principles, the hallmarks of the Reformation. And each of of these principles has the word alone, or the Latin word sola in them. We've looked at Scripture alone, that Scripture alone is to be our authority to determine what we believe and how we ought to live. We've looked at faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, emphasizing that it is only by grace through faith in Christ that we are saved. And today we look at glory to God alone. Just a reminder as we consider these five themes, Scripture alone is really the foundational uh, Reformation principle. Because Scripture alone is the basis for teaching salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so Scripture alone is really the foundational one. Glory to God alone is really the natural and result of all of these other principles actually being held to and taught. When the scriptures are being proclaimed and held to as the only authority, when Christ is being proclaimed as the only way of salvation, by grace through faith, then God is indeed glorified. Now as we consider this principle, glory to God alone, I'd like to briefly give you a a little historical context for why this became such an important principle uh, coming out of the Reformation. And if you're a Catholic, you might be a little bit upset at what I'm going to say, but I'm going to say it anyway because it's true. By the time that the 1500s came, the Roman Catholic Church was seeking its own glory, not the glory of God. And, and, and they can be upset all they want and argue all they want, but the, his, the history is clear, that the Roman Catholic Church was out for its own glory, not the glory of God. could give many examples. If you consider the, what was going on with the Pope and the Cardinals, they lived incredibly lavish lives, many of them along the side very immoral lives, And they were very concerned about maintaining that living, even though most of the people in the pews were peasants. They wanted to make sure that they could keep their lavish living, and they were just fine with the people being as poor as ever. Archbishop positions within the Roman Catholic Church were essentially going to the highest bidder. Okay, I mean, if you can think about that, leadership positions in the church essentially going to whoever would offer the most money for that position, rather than to those who were most qualified for it. And if you consider also the the building of St. Peter's Church in Rome, which was going on at this time, um, the, the Roman Catholic leaders were very concerned about getting this incredibly expensive church built, rather than focusing on that which was good for the people, like their relationship with God. And so they did whatever they could to maintain their power and to get more and more money out of these poor peasants so that they could build this St. Peter's Church in Rome. And this kind of reminds us of last week, how we focused on um, Christ alone and the historical context for that. I mentioned a little bit about indulgences, if you remember that. One of the things that was going on during Luther's time it was going on prior to that, but it only intensified during his time, is that the Roman Catholic Church had decided to essentially sell indulgence letters. Okay, And this is totally made up. They just made this up. And they said, if you give us money, a a contribution to, and it became a contribution to the building of St. Peter's Church, if you give us money, we'll give you a letter that says that for you or a loved one, of course, depending on how much you give, we'll give you a letter that says that God will lessen his punishment against you for your sins if you give us this money. Of course, it was totally made up. And it went from being, you can get a letter for yourself, to eventually, if you give money, you can get a letter for the sake of your loved one who is now dead and and supposedly in, in purgatory, suffering the torment that is deserved for sin. And so there's all these different examples indicating that the Roman Catholic Church was not trying to glorify God in what they were doing. They were were seeking their own glory. Living for the glory of God could not have been the motto of the Roman Catholic Church leading up to the 1500s. And Martin Luther and many others realized what a problem this was. And so they emphasized Scripture alone, faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone and glory to God alone. There's many places we could turn in Scripture as we focus on this theme, but perhaps one of the best places is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, looking at verses 18 through the end of the chapter. If you have your Bible with, I encourage you to turn there and follow along as I read. This is part of the letter that Paul wrote to the church in the city of Corinth. 1 Corinthians 1, beginning at verse 18. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. But by his doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let's bow together in prayer. Lord, as we have our Bibles open before us this morning, we want to thank you for giving us the Scriptures, and we pray that you would help us to understand the things that we have just read. And help us, O Lord, to be able to say, with the Apostle Paul, that let him who boasts boast in the Lord. May it never be that we would boast in anything else but in in Jesus Christ, our Savior. We pray, O Lord, that in our lives you would be glorified. We pray, O Lord, that not only in the things that we would say and do on Sunday, but just our daily living, that we would glorify you, that we would rest in Christ as our Savior and rejoice in Him, as we experience the joy and peace of having a saving relationship with Him. Father, there's so much to be thankful for. And so we just pray that now, as we take some time to look into Your Word, that You would bless this time of study. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As as we take a closer look at this passage, we we can really draw two main points from the passage. And first of all, The main point is that God has provided salvation. And secondly, because God is the one who has provided salvation, God alone deserves the glory. Those are kind of the two main points that Paul emphasizes here in this passage. Now if you notice, in terms of God's plan of salvation, the cross is at the very center of it all. Notice Paul's statement in verse 18. He says, "...for the word of the cross..." It's foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. And then as we jump down to verse 23, Paul talks about how we preach Christ crucified. Paul is reminding these readers, these Christians in the city of Corinth, that God's plan of salvation has to do with his own son Jesus coming and being crucified on a cross. And the reason why... Christ came and was crucified so that he could be our substitute and be the sacrifice for our sin. And we're reminded in Scripture in many places of this very central teaching regarding salvation. (coughs) Excuse me. 1 Peter chapter 2 is a great place to look. 1 Peter 2 verse 24, Peter writes about how Christ bore our sins in his body on the cross. The book of Hebrews emphasizes again and again that Christ offered up Himself as a sacrifice for sins, and the key phrase in the book of Hebrews is once for all. That His sacrifice of Himself took care of all the sins of the world, once and for all. Now you'll notice that as Paul writes about the word of the cross, this message that Christ crucified is the way of salvation, He reminds these readers how the unbelieving world does not view this in the same way that the Christian does. He says, to the unbelieving world, this message of the cross appears to be a foolish thing. He reminds them of how Jews, you know, their focus was on signs. Show me a sign that you can prove that you're from God. They were constantly looking for impressive things, impressive signs. That was their focus. Paul reminds them that the Greeks... They were concerned about wisdom. And we can think about some of the, uh, the, these uh, uh, great Greeks from history and their, their writings as they sought wisdom. Uh, but the Greeks, they were focused on wisdom. And, and Paul tells these Christians then that the unbelieving world is going to look upon the message of Christ crucified for our salvation very differently than we who are saved. They will look upon it and say, It's foolishness. It's very unimpressive. It's not necessary. Or whatever they may say. But Paul reminds these Christians that those who believe, those who are experiencing the blessedness of a saving relationship with Christ, will not view it in that way. They will view the message of Christ crucified in a very different way. Verse 24, Paul says that Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Excuse me. Verse thirty. If you look at verse thirty, how Christ, Jesus Christ, became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And I'd like to, to point your attention to verse twenty one as well, because Paul describes how how the world, through its wisdom, was not able to bring people into a saving relationship with God. And that's what makes Christ and Him crucified all the more of a glorious thing to proclaim. Because that is what brings us into a saving relationship with the Lord. Lord. Christ has paid the price for our sins when He died on the cross. Salvation is available only through Him. And His sacrifice was once and for all. And so that means for you and for I that if we want to have a saving relationship with Christ, with the Lord, it has to be through Jesus Christ. If we want the forgiveness of all of our sins, we find that in Jesus Christ, who bore our sins in his body on the cross. He made a perfect and complete sacrifice for our sins. And so Paul, as he writes to these Christians, reminds them that salvation is available because of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And so the very central message of the Christian faith is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And yes, risen again as well in victory. God has provided salvation and it's through Christ crucified. And that means then, secondly, that God alone deserves the glory. If it is God's power and grace alone that can bring undeserving sinners into a saving relationship with Him, then God alone is the one who deserves the glory. Notice verse 29, Paul says, so that no man may boast before God. He says in verse 30, by His doing, by God's doing, you are in Christ Jesus. And so he concludes in verse 31, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And we need to come to grips with the truth that in terms of our own salvation, we bring nothing to the table except a bunch of rottenness, our sinfulness. We don't bring anything to the table that is in any way deserving of being given salvation. God alone provides it for us by His grace, and so those who are saved are not in any way to boast in themselves. God alone deserves the glory because He has provided all that is necessary for us to be saved. And we can look at many places in Scripture where this is emphasized. Sam read from Ephesians 2 this morning. And we looked at this passage a a couple weeks ago. The Apostle Paul says that by grace, and grace means the undeserved favor of God, by grace you have been saved through faith. And when we talk about faith, we're talking about a personal trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. We have a tendency, because of the sinful nature within us, to want to think that somehow, in some way, even if it's very small, that we somehow have contributed to our salvation or that we somehow deserve salvation at least I'm not as bad as so and so and so we start to to walk down this road of pride thinking that somehow we are at least a little bit deserving of forgiveness and deserving of being let into heaven and and Paul made it clear again and again as did the rest of the apostles The whole of Scripture makes it clear that if we get saved, it's not because of our own doing. We have no reason to take credit for it. It is a gift of God. And a gift is something that is not earned. It is not deserved. We are not saved as a result of works so that no one may boast. Paul continues in Ephesians 2 verse 10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Excuse me, for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. And so, as we look at Ephesians 2, it's very clear that we are saved only because of the gracious work of God in Christ. And that even in terms of the good works that we would perform after our salvation, that God is responsible for that as well that He has prepared beforehand these things for us to walk in them. So our salvation, a life lived after becoming saved, is is something that God alone is deserving of the glory. You know, the Apostle Paul, he was a man who thought that he could earn God's favor. He was a Pharisee. He thought that by... Following the commandments, he could earn God's favor and Paul came to understand that it wasn't true. Paul had that experience of meeting Christ on the road to Damascus and Paul's life was completely turned upside down. He came to realize that he could do nothing to earn God's, God's favor. <coughs> I thought this cough was gone. Last week was enough to put up with, wasn't it? And now you got more of it. <clears throat> but Paul came to realize that the only way we get saved is if God gives us a gift that we don't deserve. And so that's why Paul proclaimed in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14: May it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. I was thinking this week, if we could look at life from God's point of view, Okay, if we could view things in the way that God views things, how strange it must look to see people boasting in themselves. Boasting in their supposed goodness or worthiness or righteousness. (coughs) What what a strange thing that would be to look upon people being so undeserving and yet boasting in themselves. It was kind of interesting, wasn't it, with the kids doing the that illustration? The two that were responsible for throwing the ball and catching the ball and that game-winning touchdown did not receive any of the glory for the accomplishment, right? And, and i got to imagine that's what it would look like from God's point of view <coughs> to see people boasting in themselves, having this attitude that somehow they deserve, uh, they deserve heaven. It must look as strange as congratulating and celebrating someone who was not responsible for the game-winning touchdown. (coughs) We're going to sing in a few minutes the hymn, To God Be the Glory. Great things He has done. He is the one who has provided salvation for us. And so He is the one who deserves the glory. Him and Him alone. I want to conclude by making a few comments about these Reformation themes that we've been looking at. And I've mentioned a couple times that if we are truly going to celebrate the Reformation, then we need to continue holding to these convictions that came out of the Reformation. Convictions that were at the very heart of what the Reformation was all about. (coughs) We need to be Scripture alone kind of people. People who believe and teach that salvation is only available by grace, through faith in Christ. People who are focused on glorifying God alone and not ourselves. And it's possible. And I would suggest that it has happened. It's possible to stray as far away from these convictions as the Roman Catholic Church had. It's possible to do that today as well. And I would suggest that it has happened. In fact, many denominations that bear the name Lutheran have strayed just as far away from these Lutheran convictions as the Roman Catholic Church had. So perhaps today needs to be a day where we, not only as a church but as individuals, renew our commitment to these convictions that we are Scripture alone people. Salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. And that it is our desire to glorify God and not ourselves. Let him who boasts boast in the Lord because he alone is deserving of the glory. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for the great things that you have done to provide salvation for us. And Lord, as we will join together in singing to you be the glory, great things you have done. I pray, O oh Lord, that this would be, that this would be the, the sincere cry of our heart, that we want to glorify you because of the great things that you have done. I pray, Lord, that you would keep us firm in the faith until the end, that we would stand upon your word, that your word alone would be our authority that we would understand that we are not saved by anything that we could do, that we don't deserve salvation, but that you give it to us freely as a gift, and that this gift is received through faith in Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we're thankful for our heritage as Lutherans, but, Lord, may it be that we continue in these convictions and that we would not take them for granted. We pray these things in Jesus' name and to your glory. Amen.